The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. In the next hour, you'll hear from some phenomenal people and healthcare leaders and learn how their challenges became opportunities. Our goal is to show you how you can positively influence your own life experience and purpose and achieve success. And now, here is your host, Danielle Delaney. Hi, and welcome to my show. This is The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. And this is your host, Danielle Delaney. And today, my guest is Michaela Haas, and I'd like to talk about her a little bit. Um, Each of us goes through five to six traumatic events in our lifetime, and how we find healing and new strength when we are challenged by setbacks and stress, how do we do that, and why do some people fall apart in a crisis while others not only survive but thrive? So best-selling author Michaela Haas, Ph.D., explores the new science of post-traumatic growth in her book, Bouncing Forward, Transforming Bad Breaks into Breakthroughs. She shares the latest research, tried-and-true methods for building resilience, and her personal encounters with inspiring survivors from all walks of life, uh, of life such as civil rights icon Zulu, who healed deep childhood trauma, flight surgeon Rhonda Cornham, who found a new purpose after being captured in Iraq, and renowned autistic pioneer Temple Grandin, who overcame crippling panic attacks, paralyzed surfer Jesse Bilauer, and famous jazz legend Coco Schumann, who played for his life in Auschwitz. Uh, Michaela Haas, Ph.D., is an acclaimed resilience researcher, coach, and author, and she has taught at the University of California, Santa Barbara, the University of the West, and internationally. A yogini and avid meditator, she has been practicing mindfulness meditation for 20 years and combines powerful storytelling with scientific research and spiritual depth. Michaela, it has been such a pleasure to meet you and welcome to my show. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm just delighted. I'm so happy you can be here. I'd love to talk a little bit about your book. I did get that from you. I bought it from you. Thank you for signing it. And I've really been kind of obsessed with it. This transforming bad breaks into breakthroughs, I think, is such an important thing. And I'd love you to talk to my listeners about what bouncing forward means and where did you come up with that terminology? Well, I didn't come up with it. Maya Angelou did. And that was a gift she gave me, uh, the title for the book, because Mm. when I interviewed her and spoke with her about how she emerged from her you know, abuse of childhood and her sexual abuse that she suffered as a child and all the violence she witnessed as a civil rights activist. She spoke about bouncing forward, going beyond what the naysayers said. Mm -hmm. And that resonated with me so much because, as you know, resilience literally means bouncing back. And for me and for many survivors, I find that when we've gone through a traumatic event, when we've lost a loved one or we've experienced an illness, we can never really go back to our old life. Mm-hmm. Um, but we 
have to move forward and we have to find a new life. So this idea of bouncing forward rather than bouncing back really resonated with me. And that's why I gave um, the book this title, Bouncing Forward, Going, um, Transforming Bad Breaks into Breakthroughs. Well, it's, it's really very good. And um, as someone who myself suffered post-traumatic stress and rape trauma syndrome, I just found it really hopeful. I like the whole well, thing of the title. Yes, you're welcome because it's a gift to the rest of us and it's just, you know, people go through so much in our lifetimes and so many traumatic events that happen and what is terribly traumatic to one, it's on a continuum. You know, it may be not as traumatic to someone else and I think that bouncing forward is just such a hopeful and promising way of looking at things and resilience. I didn't even realize that the actual term, that the term means bouncing back. So bouncing right. forward sounds a lot better. It sounds more positive. <laughs> and I would love to ask you if anyone can, can anyone learn to be more resilient and how? Absolutely. I have, when I started out the research, I really started researching resilience at a time in my life when I, was not resilient. I started out researching it when I was quite ill. I was bedridden for about eight months when I was in my 20s. And I was quite desperate because I just couldn't get my health back. And so when I started out, I thought, well, maybe it's just the super smart and super strong people (laughs) who are resilient and somehow they managed to thrive. And what I found, and really every single study shows that, that really resilience is like a muscle. It's something we can exercise and grow stronger. And that's why I wrote the book, Bouncing Forward, is to to show people how to do that. Because I think sometimes we hear these inspiring stories about survivors who uh, go on to thrive. And we can take that the wrong way and feel even smaller because we're maybe stuck and not managing so well. And so to be able to show how we can train ourselves in becoming resilient, that is very, very important to me. And I think very few people are born resilient. There is something like the resilience gene, but really, you know, when I look at the people I spoke with and all these survivors, cancer um, patients, um, adaptive athletes, really people from all walks of life, as you said, you know, very often they started out not resilient and they had to work for it. And Mm -hmm. and that's the purpose of bouncing forward is to show how we can do that. So it's a process, you're saying. It's more of a process to become more resilient. It's a process. And also what I've learned is that very often we are resilient in one area of our Mm -hmm. lives or in a few areas of our lives, but Mm -hmm. not in all areas of our lives. So What I found is that a lot of people think, well, if you're strong and resilient, you're always strong and resilient. Right. And that's really not the case for anybody. I've never met anybody who's resilient in all areas of life. We we all have strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And I've worked a lot on my mental resilience and emotional resilience. But, for instance, my physical resilience is not where it was uh, before I got ill. So... Mm-hmm. I think everybody has to know their strengths and weaknesses and work with it. And, you know, that's where I find we can empower ourselves and also ask for support in the areas where we're weak. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'm right there with you. I had physical injuries and, and uh, was injured and harmed during during an attack. And it's one of those things that you find a new normal 
And it took a long time to do that. It's exactly like you said. I had to realize, hmm, you know, maybe there are certain things that are just not part of my life anymore. I can't go running, but you find other things. I can swim or I can do this or I can do that. And it's uh, sort of substituting other things for things that you'd like to do that you can't do any longer. And I, I, people say, can't, don't use the word can't. There is no can't. I've been guilty of even saying that to people before. But sometimes it's can't. I mean, if you have a certain injury, you are not to do certain things medically. You're not supposed to do it. And I think that idea of, um, of, of not, ha- not having an, an idea that everyone can do this in all areas. And I, think I have clients like that. So important because... I can't is the hardest thing for me to say. Me too. <laughs> and because I want to be strong and I want to put myself out there. And sometimes, you know, I have to say I can't. And mm-hmm. that's important too. And one thing I, I want to stress, you know, as we're talking about post-traumatic growth is that post-traumatic growth is not the opposite of post-traumatic stress. Okay. And growing from a traumatic event and from adversity can only happen if we're honest with ourselves. It can only happen if we're, we, we don't have to put on a smiley face when what's really going on is, is not something we smile about. So mm-hmm. to tend to the wound, to be honest with ourselves and honest with our weaknesses is really the first step in being able to grow, and I encourage people to do that, because sometimes people, when they hear the the word post-traumatic growth, they think it's some kind of positive thinking and pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind right. of thing, but really it's, it's the stress, it's the struggle that serves as the engine for the growth really and great. the honesty with ourselves and mm-hmm. with others about what we can do and what we can't is so important. Right. I think doing personal exercises and things that you've outlined in the book, that's very helpful. And therapy and counseling is very helpful. And exactly what you're saying, it just rings so true for me. In my practice, a lot of clients that I have one-on-one will have a situation that they've gone through as a child. I work with lots of of adults molested as children. I work with a lot of people uh, with addiction and recovery. And they will wonder, why can I not get past this breakup or this death or this or that when they've been through so much, quote-unquote, worse? And it it really is helpful in helping them to understand that they they can't be strong all of the time. And that can't can be a real thing, that sometimes you do have to have a boundary and draw a line and have a, a healthy understanding of what you're actually capable of and that they may be having a terrible time with this particular breakup or this particular setback in their life. And it doesn't mean that they're not still a strong person. So I I like the way you, you phrased that. And I'd like to talk to you a little about the difference between resilience and post-traumatic growth. What's the difference? Yes. What I found most encouraging when I researched the science of post-traumatic growth mm-hmm. is that we don't necessarily have to be resilient to begin with in order to experience post-traumatic growth. So resilience and post-traumatic growth overlap in that resilience is one of the outcomes of post-traumatic growth. But sometimes it's the least resilient people who grow the most, who have the most room to grow. And I've met people whose life has really been turned upside down by a traumatic event or an injury, and they really had to start over. They really had to begin again. And the, the, the person that comes to mind is Chessie Billower, a Californian surfer who mm-hmm. was paralyzed in a surf accident at 17 years old. And so this phenomenal athlete who was about to go pro 
all of a sudden, you know, he, he couldn't walk anymore, and he was told by the doctors, you will never walk and never surf mm-hmm. again. And so he had to learn everything again. He had to learn to um, breathe. He had to learn to feed himself every little step that he took for granted before. And what saved him was that he thought, well, I have to get back into the ocean no matter what the doctors say. And he's now surfing, lying down. Now he's paralyzed. Mm-hmm. He is surfing, balancing on his elbows. And not only that, but he started an organization for other adaptive surfers. Um, Life Rolls On, yes. where he takes handicapped children and adults surfing and skating. So before the accident, his life was about catching the next wave. It was about competing. And now his life is about helping others. So his life took a dramatically different direction than what he thought he was going to do. But Mm. when you ask him now, he says he's actually happier now and more fulfilled because he has a real purpose in his life, and Mm -hmm. that is to help others. You know, it's interesting. I follow him on Facebook, and I think I started following him on Facebook. I saw Jesse on there when I was... Maybe when it started, Facebook started, I think, in 2008 or 2009, or at least that's when I got on it. And, um, and I just remember reading his story and being so inspired and, and reading about Life Rolls On and his uh-huh. foundation. So I think it's amazing to help people with a disability to find another way of doing something. And I think he's just an exemplary human being. And, because um, he figured, you know, people always say life goes on when right. something traumatic happens. Right. And he looked down at his body and he says, well, for me, life does not go on because mm-hmm. I will never walk again. For me, life rolls on. And that's mm-hmm. how he came up with this title for his nonprofit. And that's actually one of the five main areas of post-traumatic growth is to find new perspectives in life and a new direction in life. And especially this idea of helping others and using Mm -hmm. what we've learned when we're going through hard times. I've heard that again and again because this idea of post-traumatic growth, you know, it wasn't formulated as a fancy theory. This term was coined by two psychologists at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, after they've been working with trauma survivors, veterans, bereaved parents for three decades. And they were surprised to hear again and again that people would tell them, listen, I'm not happy that this happened to me. I'd rather have my loved one back. I'd rather uh, have learned this lesson in a gentler way. But... I've actually learned something from this experience. And so they've distilled it down to five main areas of post-traumatic growth. And what people kept telling them again and again is that they found a new personal strength. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like what doesn't kill us, make us stronger. Right. Deeper relationships with others. We, We find out who our true friends are. New perspectives on life, as, as we just mentioned. Um, Deeper appreciation for life, because I think when mm-hmm. we are really in an existential crisis, uh, we we really appreciate the things much, much more that truly matter. And then the yes. fifth main area that they found people kept talking about was a deeper spirituality, either a deeper faith or a different kind of faith that people were coming to after working through a big crisis. And I, that rings so true for me as well, because I know that for myself, for clients I have, for friends and family, 
you sometimes a new person emerges. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're st- it's still the same. I always say that saying of um, we are souls with a body, not bodies with a soul. But you're oh. the same soul, but with a new experience. And I love what you said about, um, and no one, you know, people saying, I'm grateful for this, or I've, I've been told to forgive my attackers, or, well, if that hadn't happened to you, perhaps you wouldn't be walking through your life in this way with this purpose and helping and healing. And exactly any other way of learning that lesson would have been great if it were gentler. <laughs> but I always say I was forcefully redirected, forcibly redirected, and um, not once but twice. And you realize, okay, you know, something's going on here that's big, larger than myself. And it does take you to a new place of your spiritual self and really looking to what that means to you. And um, I, I know you practice Buddhism, and my sister, Kelly, is a Buddhist, and I've, I've studied and learned a lot from those traditions and from all of that. And it's really how you understand your higher power and how you understand spirituality. It's so different for everyone. So I think that's so helpful. And also how we work with suffering, because none of us gets out of this alive. No. <laughs> so we all... I was actually shocked when I saw that really every one of us, you know, experiences traumatic events, mm-hmm. probably more than one in our lifetime. And especially with mindfulness meditation and in the Buddhist teachings, there's a lot of wisdom about how can we respond to suffering in a way that does not cause more suffering, but in a way that's helpful and that maybe impacts our own lives and other lives for a greater good? How can we open up rather than closing down? How can right. we use the suffering to be more compassionate and connect with others rather than becoming bitter and, and angry? So there are a lot of helpful methods now, I find, and the more... The science of post-traumatic growth is still comparatively new, mm-hmm. but there are now really hundreds of studies where we learn more and more about what exactly it is that helps people through traumatic events and what we can do to be there for others to support them right. through difficult times. Right. But one I thing I also want to say that. is that there is no timeline on that because um, my sister-in-law calls it a hurry-up-and-get-over-it society. Hurry-up-and-get-over-it, <laughs> it. right. And nobody, nobody has that, that innate ability to just hurry up and get over you get through. Because sometimes, you know, to arrive at that growth process takes time, especially Mm -hmm. when we're struggling with grief. Like my sister-in-law, I think it took her about 10 years, really, until she was able to redecorate her daughter's room after she lost her daughter. Mm -hmm. And so the timeline is really individual. And sometimes people buy books that says, you know, six months after you lose somebody or six months after a traumatic event, you have to be this far in your progress. And that's, I'm calling BS on that. (laughs) (laughs) Because what I find is that every trauma is unique and every process of healing is unique. And for some, some people are able to articulate that growth immediately. For some, it takes years. For some, it even takes decades. And right. it takes right. however long it takes. It takes how long it takes. And I, I just, I love that you speak of it that way. I'm so sorry for your sister's loss, by the way. 
And, Thank um, you. And I was reading about that in the book, that she was talking to her therapist or psychiatrist or psychologist or whomever, that she was speaking to them about these stages and what, you know, thinking she should be further along and uh-huh. that the daughter's voice was still on the answering machine. And I thought, oh, you know, that's got to be so painful. And the practitioner in your, in your account of what happened in there, in the book, was saying, um, well, uh, some people who've lost a spouse or lost, she was, and your sister was thinking, well, how can that be comparable? And it yeah. really is the truth. You cannot compare, and each individual is so different. And I'm happy for people who can say they forgive their perpetrators through, of certain crimes. I will not be that person. I will never be the one to say, I'm so grateful for this, and I forgive them, and I can wish them happiness away from me. And that, that whole train of thought is beautiful. But I have to be honest with myself as well, and that's just not how I feel. But I, I give so much credit to people who do. And mm-hmm. I think it's really just, just talking about some scientifically, scientifically proven strategies that you know of to foster healing might be helpful. Do you know of some scientifically proven strategies to foster healing? Absolutely. I even went to um, the Army's Resilience Boot Camp because I figured that the Army is the organization that has the keenest interest in figuring out how we can heal from trauma and how we can prepare people for traumatic events also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can't emphasize enough um, how important it is to be honest and to admit weaknesses. And I was so surprised that even uh, at the Army training, instead of projecting this image of the invincible soldier uh, who's not faced by anything they go through, um, that they train the soldiers in being honest, admitting weaknesses, admitting fears, reaching out for help. And that, I think, is crucial because so often people think if you're strong, you have to be able to do it all on your own and you Mm -hmm. don't need anybody. And in my research, I found that really nobody can do it alone. We need a support system. And it's been proven again and again in studies that we need at least one other person who believes in us and who's there for us. A person we can call at 3 in the morning, no matter whether it rains or storms, a person who will be there for us. Mm-hmm. And to find, to find that support is the most important thing uh, we, we really need to reach for. And like we, we talked about my sister-in-law and that horrible experience she had with that therapist who did not understand complex mm-hmm. drama. And so what helped her the most was to find a self-help group of bereaved parents, compassionate mm-hmm. friends. So um, talking with other parents who have gone through very similar experiences of losing their child was what really helped her the most. And I think no matter what our situation is, there is, we, there's a group out there for every single one of us because so often when we're stuck in a traumatic situation or with our grief or pain, mm-hmm. we think we're the only one who feels this way. Yeah, very and isolating, very isolating. Very isolating. And mm-hmm. to connect with others who have, who have made similar experiences I think is so eye-opening and so helpful to feel that, oh, yes, they've been to similar places. I can really be honest and talk about what's really going on here. I think that's invaluable. 
And then specifically, you know, when you're asking about strategies, you've mentioned uh, already I'm I'm a big fan of uh, meditation. Mm -hmm. And mindfulness meditation has really been proven to make a dramatic difference uh, in our experience of pain. Mindfulness meditation is actually 40% more effective in um, easing pain than morphine. And so even the Army in their resilience boot camp, I was so surprised to see that they are teaching mindfulness meditation to the soldiers now because they have studied it. They've um, deployed a lot of resources in finding out what really helps. And they see very clearly that, for instance, Marines who come back from combat, when they're introduced to mindfulness meditation, their healing process is so much smoother and faster because mindfulness meditation can give us that ability to stay present and also to be kind to ourselves, you mm-hmm. know, because that's another thing that's so common after a traumatic event is the self-blame and the guilt and why didn't I do something different and what if. And to to be kind to ourselves and to change the internal conversation, the internal talk we right. have with ourselves. It can be crippling to have that self-blame and shame. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So, so these are um, methods I recommend in Bouncing Forward, but that have really, you know, you don't need to be a Buddhist to practice mindfulness meditation because the Army is obviously a secular organization. <laughs> right. um, I think that's unbelievable. They're using it um, in a very simple way, just focusing on the breath, staying present, being mindful. And a lot of the soldiers love it so much that they just keep it up and make it into a daily practice. Right, and it's life-changing. Breath work and mindfulness, it's, it's huge in, in being able to ground yourself and be in the present moment. I'd like to continue talking about that after the break, Michaela, but at this moment I'd love you to give out your Twitter handle and your website address. That's MichaelaHaas.com, and the way this is spelled is M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A, Haas, H-A-A-S, two A's, one S, and that's also my Twitter handle, Michaela Haas, so that's where you can find more information about bouncing forward and resilience and post-traumatic growth. Okay, perfect, and for myself, my Twitter is at it's Dan- I'm sorry, it's Danny Delaney, I-T-S, the word it's, and then Danny, D-A-N-I, Delaney, D-E-L-A-N-E-Y. And um, to have any kind of a discussion about this conversation, email me at therealdealwithdanielle at gmail.com or my website is com. We will be back in just a moment and discuss more about resilience and bouncing forward with Michaela Haas. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Life is a journey which never gets easier. 
As we go through life, we just handle things better as we get to know ourselves. Listen for the Mental Sherpa by Theta Spring. Host Alexandra Janelli believes that each of us are pre-programmed with all the answers and tools we need to move through any situation life throws at us. It's discovering those tools and answers that will set us on the right path to enjoying and navigating life. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. If you'd like to connect with Danielle, feel free to send an email to therealdealwithdanielle at gmail.com. That's therealdealwithdanielle at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. We are back. You're listening to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. And I'm speaking with my guest, Michaela Haas, Ph.D. today, the author of Bouncing Forward, Transforming Bad Breaks into Breakthroughs. Michaela, I would like to continue talking a little bit more about um, the importance of a support system to successfully deal with the tragedy and with any anything that's difficult and, and traumatic in one's life. Because I know for myself, like you said, it's been proven that you need one person who believes in you, supports you. That one person can make all the difference in your life. For me, it was my mother. And mm-hmm. I just thank God for that. And I've, I've seen in support groups what goes on when people don't have that one person to say, slow down, just keep going, have hope, and the patience and the love and the support. So uh, I'd love to hear your take on that, on the importance of that support system. And, and let's get into that a little bit more. I can't stress it enough how important it is to find people, whether it's professional help, a trained trauma therapist, Mm -hmm. um, members of your own family, friends, self-help groups, really anybody who can support you in a difficult situation. And, um, you know, for a long time, trauma therapists thought that, especially children with an abuse of childhood were kind of doomed to um, an unhappy, unsuccessful life. Mm -hmm. And now we know that even at a young age, even when children are abused, like, for instance, how it happened to Maya Angelou and so many other people, when children have one person in their life who believes in them unconditionally and who loves them and who's there for them, then even under the worst conditions, children can grow into happy and content adults. And Maya Angelou proves that. But mm-hmm. also I think sometimes when people hear that and they don't have anybody, um, they, they want to say, well, that's just not my situation. And in my book, I write about a couple of people who really didn't have anybody when a traumatic event um, hit them. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. Cindy Lamb was actually a single mother with, a child who she she got in a terrible car accident with a drunk driver mm-hmm. and her her child was um severely handicapped was paralyzed 
and her husband left her. So she was a single mom. She had to mm. make a living. She had to take care of her child full time, and she really had nobody. And everybody left her because nobody could handle that situation. And what impressed me so much, and one of the reasons why I included her in Bouncing Forward is that she did not give up, and she kept reaching out, and she kept trying to make a connection. Mm-hmm. And she went to various churches, who some of them didn't treat her very nicely, until she found that church, her community, where she is now a a very happy member of and where she did find support. Mm -hmm. So what I want to say is don't give up. If, If you don't have that support right now, keep reaching out, whether it's online, which is so easy now to do, you know, to even join a group and connect online. But, of course, it's much better to do it in person or another... Uh, a friend of mine who I feature in Bouncing Forward is Alain Beauregard, who was diagnosed with terminal cancer when he was 46 years old. Mm-hmm. And he, too, he was single at the time. He, he didn't have anybody. And he had to create a situation. It was actually he reached out to his ex-wife, who ended up taking him in for hospice care. Mm-hmm. And uh, the story has a happy ending because he he ended up um, beating the cancer and he's mm. alive and healthy today. But why I'm bringing this up is he didn't really have a good support system when he was diagnosed with that terminal illness, and he had to create it. He had to reach out. He had to he had to he calls it let go, but don't give up. So. Right. Uh, that, I think, is, is important for people who don't have the support system in place already. And I think, especially for children, you know, so many children say that they did try to talk about what was going on at home. They did try mm-hmm. to find help, and they couldn't find anybody who listened. And I, I want to say, you know, we we need to listen. We need to pay attention. We We have a responsibility to be there for people, especially children, when when we hear or suspect that something's not right, that there especially, is some violence or abuse going on. Especially with the children, you're absolutely right. I agree with you wholeheartedly. They just, you know, they don't, they don't have the same tools. And I really think we need to listen to them. And I always say with anyone who's claiming something's happened to them, the most important thing is to believe them. That is step number one is believe them because it's secondary trauma to feel belittled or asked questions as though it's not the truth. And that's just completely not helpful. It's unhelpful and it's unnecessary. But some people don't know what to do. And that's something that, um, that I'd like to talk about too, because um, supporting survivors and what to say and what not to say. I myself was in a support group for, uh, for rape survivors. And not only was it at night and in downtown LA, <laughs> they were doing a great <laughs> job of, of putting it together. But I, I ended up running the thing and I thought, God, I'm bossy. But um, but I ended up leading by saying, can we go two by two to our cars? There's no security guard. There's team mascots walking around in costumes. It's nighttime, and it's not the greatest neighborhood. We're already traumatized, and we need to be scared as we leave support group. So that was that was one thing, just making sure that we sort of paired up so we felt safe. And then another thing in that group that I experienced was uh, I had been told after a second assault by a neighbor, well, I'm sure the second time you'll just get over it much faster. And I remember going inside and closing the door in shock and thinking, Mm -hmm. how could someone actually be so so unself-aware to say something like that? Or how could they not understand that, no, the second time you're assaulted doesn't change and make things easier. It's not, it doesn't work like that. And, um, 
it's important to understand that people don't know what to say sometimes and that they're doing their best as they see it and they're not trying to attack you. But it's good to talk about what to say and what not to say. And in my support group, we ended up making a little game of it where I started saying, can everyone just bring a little list of ridiculous things said to them this week so that, so that we can talk about why that was exactly off base and exactly the wrong thing to say. So yeah. we sort of would bounce it back and forth between us talking about, oh, you're not going to believe this one. And it took the sting out of it a little bit. And I do it in support yeah. groups that I run now. It's just, you're not going to believe this one. You know, it, it, having a little humor about it, because, a little levity, because we know not everyone is coming from the same perspective or the same place. They haven't experienced it. They don't know what to say. So, <laughs> yeah, let's talk a little bit about what to say and what not to say. I think that can be helpful for listeners. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry this happened to you. And Thank I'm so you. sorry for these insensitive comments. And I think every survivor has their own, excuse my language, shit list about what people have said to them that yes. is, is really not helpful and actually no. counterproductive. And I think, you know, people mean well. People are trying to, to help. <laughs> they don't sometimes. It's stunning how unhelpful they can be sometimes. <laughs> so uh, my advice would be not to take it personally, you know, to mm-hmm. see, um, well, this is where this person is coming from. You know, this is their perspective. And I've both personally and every single survivor told me that, that they really had to choose, you know, um, their partners for honest conversations. Not everybody, they could not have the kind of conversations they needed to have uh, with everybody, and sometimes not even with their closest family members or friends. Um, Like Alain Beauregard, uh, the cancer survivor I just spoke about, you know, he, he said he had to tell his mother to visit him less because she was treating him like a baby. And he Mm -hmm. had to tell her, I'm 46 years old. I'm making my own decisions. Though my body is sick right now, my mind is healthy. And it does not help me to be treated like like a baby or like a child. And Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important to, to find people that we can speak with openly and honestly and to to um to also create a support group and network of several people because maybe there are some people we can do certain things with and mm-hmm. not others mm-hmm. but what i would say you know as a friend of someone who's going through difficult times the most important thing is to be there for them to show up and often it's really not so much you know, what to say, because when you lose your child or after a kidnapping, there's really nothing to say that will no. make it all right. There's no, there nothing. are no words. No words. There are no words. Um, there's just to be present, um, to show up, and to keep showing up, because so often when something traumatic happens, people are willing to help the first three days after after the event. Right. But Somebody might need help weeks and months and years after the after the traumatic event, or in your case, you know, then something else happened and you 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 had to go through another trauma. So right. to be there on the long run, to be there continuously, and not to ask, you know, not to say, "Call me if you need anything," because people in a crisis 
are unlikely to do that. Right. But to keep calling. and, yeah. and keep also checking in. Keep checking keep in. Keep checking in. Keep checking in. And also mm-hmm. to offer practical things. You know, can I bring you food? Can I go grocery shopping for you? Can I take you somewhere? Um, sometimes even to do research. Um, you know, I've, I've researched, hey, here are these self-help groups exactly. um, for suicide exactly. survivors. Mm-hmm. Maybe even go there with them. If they don't want to, don't force them. But you could do some of the work that they maybe don't have the energy to right now. Right. And that's helpful. That support is in, invaluable. And uh, I personally will never forget a neighbor who stopped by and said, let me do your dishes. Because they were yes. piling up. And I'm one of the most anal retentive, clean, neat freaks that you'll ever meet. But in crisis, we are a different person. You know, we're not sleeping. We're not able to cope. We're, we're dealing with a whole different set of of things stimulating our mind and, and depression and trauma and things that may be situational and won't be that way later. But to have someone offer the practical things, like you're saying, um, to have someone just come in and say, I'm going to do your dishes. And she did it and yes. she left. And I remember it because it was, wow, that's done now. And I really didn't want to leave or have someone come in and help clean. And, of course, I didn't want it to be that way. But you just, you honestly lose the ability to function when you're in crisis unless you're a trained crisis interventionist like I am now. But at the time, it was personal. And uh-huh. it's, it really helps to have that, um, you know, someone just reaching out and reaching out and stopping by or calling and not taking no for an answer. Really, this person needs your support. And there are hotline support systems. And also, I had a friend suggest a support group. And I said, I can't seem to find one. And she called and called tirelessly until they found me one because some were for only for single mothers. And I thought, oh, so because I don't have kids, I don't fit in with that group. And then there were other uh, crisis groups for rape, but they were interviewing you to kind of do intake. And I didn't fit into some of the situations. And they do want similar individuals and similar groups. And it's not Uh personal, but I felt it personally. So continue to reach out, continue to try. If one group is not a fit, try another. And Another thing I find helpful to just throw out there to people is you don't have to be an addict or love an addict to go to alanon.org. And those meetings are all over the place, all over the world, at all hours of the day. And sometimes just going and sitting with other people that are going through something difficult, getting yourself out of the house, not being alone. I find that to be so helpful. And I recommend it to clients in so many different situations. And they realize that something someone said in that room touched them or helped them and it was an hour of their time. They didn't have to speak. They sat there and felt supported. And like you said, not everyone has loved ones to support them. Not everyone's fortunate enough to have sensitive friends. You do find out who your friends are. You do find out who will support you through thick and thin. And you find out who, you know, who liked it for the novelty of the trauma and the drama. And as soon as the blooms off the rose, they're bored of it. So it's, it's revealing. Exactly. And also I think... So many people don't know what to say, but I think uh, more important than saying the right thing and, you know, quotation marks, is to listen Mm -hmm. because um, sometimes it's uncomfortable what the person who's in a crisis, what they want to express, what they have to say. There might be anger or fears or even, you know, so-called irrational fears, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really help to try to talk them out of it. I think what's helpful is to listen and to let them go through that, um, at, at least for a while. And one of the things my sister-in-law also said was that people were so afraid to bring up the topic of the death of her child. Right, like but really, she was longing to talk about it. She mm-hmm. wanted to hear her daughter's name mentioned. Mm-hmm. And 
she she even went to Starbucks and ordered coffee, and rather than giving her name, she gave her daughter's name, Haley, just for that moment when the barista would call out, Haley, just so she would hear her daughter's name, and that was so important for her. Wow, that is touching, and it is the truth that people will often think, oh, well, I didn't want to bring that up because there are certain dates that trigger you or that are a uh, reminder of that. That's the anniversary of what happened. It's something. Or they just think, oh, we won't talk about that anymore. Let's have a nice evening. We don't need to discuss that. It's always with you. And so yeah. I think that is really important for people to understand, even as years go by and you've learned to sort of integrate it into who you are and 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 live with it and deal with it, that to have someone's name spoken that you lost or to have something brought up, it's, it's certainly with you in any way. It's not like, oh, I didn't want to bring that up. It's, like, it's not forgotten. So please do. Some people want to talk about it. And if they don't, you'll be able to tell. You'll be able to tell. They'll say, I, I would rather not talk about that. But I think that's important advice. I think it's very important advice. And also that it is a, it's very important what you're getting across to people to, to understand that it's not what you say. It's being present. And and I recall people saying, well, I can't relate to that when you bring that up. So, you know, let's not talk about that or something. But it's, it's just more listening. And it's uh-huh. more saying, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And you can even say the phrase is just fine to say. It's not illegal to say, I have no idea what to say. I just don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. And when you need to talk, I will listen. And that can be so much better than all the little platitudes, like you'll be okay, or everything will be fine, or, you know, let's not discuss that now. It's, it's so much more helpful to just be exactly. present and say, I don't even know what to say, but I'm here. And just that quiet presence and strength, so important. So important. I agree, 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you about this because um, I read that 40% of Americans say they do not have a purpose in life. Mm-hmm. And how does that affect or hinder our ability to grow from a traumatic event if you don't feel you have a purpose in life? I was actually shocked to hear that number, you know, because I think if we don't have a purpose in life, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so that's where post-traumatic growth comes in because... Very often, you know, um, a traumatic event will certainly decrease our happiness, um, but we could find a purpose, and that might eventually lead to a different kind of happiness. Like, for instance, I already mentioned Chessie Billower, whose purpose it now is to help other handicapped kids and adults to surf and skate. That's his purpose in life that mm-hmm. he found through the accident that happened to him. Or take Maya Angelou, who experienced a lot of violence, and uh, that turned her into an activist. Her mm-hmm. purpose in life was to fight for justice and for social equality and for women's rights. And she was very passionate about this to her last day. And she was also very joyful in doing this. Yeah. Or Cindy Lamb, uh, the, the woman I mentioned who lost her daughter to a drunk driving accident. Mm. She was so distraught. And so she couldn't save her own daughter, but she started, um, she co-founded Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And thus she probably saved hundreds of thousands of other lives by advocating against drunk driving and by getting the laws changed. So pretty much everybody in Bouncing Forward and almost all the survivors I personally know, Mm -hmm. uh, we found a new purpose after or through 
the trauma that happened. And I think, especially in America, um, especially in California maybe, you know, (laughs) we look for happiness outside. We look for happiness in the right house and the right job and the right guy and all of these things Mm -hmm. and all all of these kinds (laughs) of happiness are, you know, necessarily temporary. They're short-lived. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. We can't take it with us. And eventually, you know, the house is going to crumble and the marriage is going to have its ups and downs. So purpose in life can give us a more lasting kind of contentment and happiness. And Viktor Frankl, the Auschwitz survivor, said, if you have a why to live, you can survive almost any how. And I have found the sentence to be so meaningful because, of course, you know, we'd rather not have gone through the pain or the trauma, but coming out of that with a purpose, a mission to share what we've learned, to help others with it, I think that can be a very different kind, like it can lead to a very different kind of fulfilled and happy life that's different from what we had before, but that's maybe even happier and more meaningful than the life we've lived before that event. Right, and the meaning is everything. I mean, I love that expression that you never see a Brinks truck following a hearse. (laughs) I mean, not Mm -hmm. only can you not take it with you, but you really cannot take it with you. And the material things in life are just things. They're not who you are. It is you are a soul, and it's the experiences you share, and it's how you come through things that will really end up being your legacy and your your greatest gift that you've given back is something that you've learned from and can share with others as you do and as we do and as so many we've spoken of today do. And it's so, to, it's so much to their credit. It is what you can leave behind. Everything else doesn't matter. Exactly. And also these uh, hard events, they shape who we are. They, they end up building our strengths rather than making us weaker. At least, you know, if we can use that understanding, if we can um, let the trauma not go to waste (laughs) in a way, because we can't change it anyway, but we can change our response to it. We can change what we're doing with it. We can change how we continue to work with it. And that's, I think, where... Um, where we can find our purpose in life if if we if we don't know it already. I think you're right. You know, just bounce, don't break, and and bounce forward, and pushing forward, and really just being resilient and not giving up, and not just the word resilience, but the action behind it, and reaching out. People may want to help, and they if you don't reach out, you don't know that they want to help you. So I think it's so important for people listening to just know you're not by yourself. Reach out. Um, you know, go to go to the websites, go to Psychology Today, I'm listed on there. Um, go to my page, DanielleDelaneyCounseling.com. Look for you, your website, um, MichaelaHaas.com. Yes. And there's just so many others out there. I'm certainly not the be-all and the end-all. I just know that they're there. I have so many colleagues and friends alike who want to help. And when people reach out, if, if we made it your your real purpose in life. You want to reach back and help them. You just want to. And um, some of our experiences, I think the same thing that you just said is so valid that I personally thought, okay, why did this happen? 
I don't understand. I will not be happy about it ever. I won't say it's wonderful. It was not. But I thought if, 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 if I don't do something with it, then what was even the point? So um, it's, it's kind of internalizing that and realizing, okay, I can externalize that too and, and find a way to help. And through helping others to heal, it's really been very healing for me. Okay. And it can kind of come back to you that way. And it's just so helpful. And you have a different kind of understanding and empathy because of what you've gone through. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I do feel kind of uniquely qualified to help certain people who've been through certain types of trauma and to understand it and how it does lead to self-medicating and how it does lead to, you know, just so many different things that there's nothing that a drink can't make worse if you're going through trauma. And it's, it's a way of thinking about it, dealing with it, coping with it. My, my uncle is a, an amazing social worker for, gosh, decades and decades. He's in his 70s now, almost 80s. My uncle, Ernest Willard, and um, he put me in touch with a woman named uh, Dr. Tema Bryant-Davis, who wrote a book called Thriving in the Wake of Trauma. And she signed it and mailed it to me. And he and that book, honestly, were life-saving. Things, they were like lifeboats for me. And I like how you write in your book that a drowning person doesn't need, uh, they need a lifeline. They don't need a swimming lesson. <laughs> At that moment, yes. <laughs> I really like that quote. I love that. And it's just, it's so much, it's just so true. And I remember him telling me sometimes, you know, you do have to take a break from this trauma sometimes. Yes, it happened. Yes, you're living with it every day. But step away and revisit. Stay out of your neighbor, out of your mind. It can be a bad neighborhood. Stay out of there for a minute. Go for a walk in nature. Ground yourself. Touch a tree. Visit with a friend. Go see a movie. Do something. And you can come back and be with your misery. And it's okay. You have to go through it to get to the other side. But get out of your head for a moment and not in an unhealthy way. But I just think your, your suggestions are so helpful. Extremely helpful, Michaela. Thank you so, so much. Well, exactly what you say, nourishing ourselves, connecting with our body, um, whether it's through yoga or taking a walk in nature or drumming like Rick Allen does. He's, he's another survivor I feature mm-hmm. in Bouncing Forward. He runs drumming circles for veterans and other survivors. Because mm-hmm. when you're drumming, you, you're in the present moment and you're in your body. Mm-hmm. And very often we, we neglect our, our body and our, our basic health when, when we're not feeling well or when, when we're in pain. So all these things, you know, sometimes they sound so basic, but mm-hmm. they are really basic. They are essential. They are so important. And we can't emphasize it enough how, how important it is to take care of ourselves. Thank you so much. It's such it's so such a pleasure to hear have you here and using those tools to reconnect with yourself, with your body, with your soul, with your spirit. There's nothing more valuable that you'll ever do. It's some of the hardest work you'll ever do, but the most important thing you'll do in your life is a return to self and bouncing forward. Thank you so much for being here today, Michaela. I appreciate you. Thank you, Danielle, you. for having me. Thank you so much, and everyone have a great week. Be well, and tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney, and until then, be well. Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to catch The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney live every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait for you to see what's in store next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.